This talk is offered by Ordinary Mind Zendo. Ordinary Mind was founded by Barry Magid, Dharma heir of Charlotte Joko Beck, and is dedicated to her vision of a psychologically minded Zen practice adapted to the needs of American students practicing in the context of their everyday lives. Our public programs are made possible by donations from people like you. Said that Ananda, Buddha's nephew and disciple, who is said to have had total recall for all of Buddha's sermons, uh, even the ones that were delivered before his birth. Uh, no matter how many years he sat with the Buddha, he himself never became enlightened in the Buddha's lifetime. And at a certain point, Buddha trying to help him overcome this obstacle, uh, called all his enlightened bodhisattva disciples uh, together and asked them to recount for Ananda the circumstances of their uh, enlightenment. This would sound like just rubbing it in, but uh, it was supposed to be instructive for Ananda about how enlightenment happens. Uh, and there's a particular koan that talks about one group of bodhisattvas who comes for 16 bodhisattvas, and they say, we all came and made our prostrations uh, to the Buddha, and then we went together to, to take our ritual bath. And when we entered the bath, we all suddenly realized the essence of water and were enlightened. Well, the koan asks you, what's the essence of water? And the, the issue is that the essence of water is going to be separate from the whole ritual and practice of bathing, the use of water to makes uh, the body clean or even to purify it. The monks lived a life in which everything was organized around this kind of dichotomy of pure and impure, clean and unclean. Uh, bathing was a kind of ritual of purification. And so in this story, the monks come to be purified, but suddenly they realize just the wetness, the feel, the touch of the water, and it has nothing to do whatsoever with clean or unclean, pure or impure. Now, for better or worse, this koan uh, serves as a paradigm for one approach uh, to the precepts, which at a literal, literal level uh, also seem very much preoccupied with 
what's pure and what's impure, what to do and what not to do. Don't kill, don't steal, don't defame the three treasures, don't misuse sexuality, don't come intoxicated. However, the, uh, the precepts were traditionally uh, taught as koans after you completed the whole uh, koan curriculum. Because all of the koans also have this dimension in which there is nothing pure and nothing impure. There are no, no separate selves. There's nobody else. There's nothing to steal, nothing to kill, nothing to defame. All these things are empty. And so there's a level in which the precepts seen from the direction of the absolute have the potential to be radically destabilizing of conventional morality. And I think that it is unfortunate but true that that dimension uh, has long served as a kind of rationalization for misconduct on the part of uh, many practitioners and even many teachers. It's a dimension that we have to realize, but we have to realize it in conjunction uh, with the level of conventional morality, just as these bodhisattvas, we hope, did not take, stop taking baths uh, just because they realized there's no such thing as being unclean. The last couple of weeks, on our Sangha listserv, there have been a lot of questions raised about the uh, misconduct by two of Joko's uh, Dharma heirs. And what that says about her teaching uh, in, in comparison to that of her teacher, which she rejected precisely because it didn't seem to do anything to curb his own misconduct. What improvement was there and what Joko was offering if uh, her Dharma successors were no better than Maizumi? Well, I think there are in fact lots of differences which I try to uh, say something about. Uh, and I do think that there has been a profound transformation in American Zen, uh, uh, very largely because of Joko, uh, re-legitimizing uh, the psychological uh, in Zen practice. Uh, 
when I came up through the ranks, there were many places where these two things were considered separate realms. One was in, came to Zen to realize the absolute, to, to practice in a spiritual realm. And the merely psychological just got in the way and probably should be dealt separately with a therapist, but had nothing to do with your Zen practice. It's rarer and rarer that anybody tries to justify that kind of split anymore. That what we're doing in practice is almost always seen as how is it manifested in your daily life? How is it manifested in your emotional life and in how you treat others? See, I remember, I don't know how many decades ago it was, but I was at a Zen teacher's meeting um, with one of uh, Edo Shimano's uh, Dharma heirs. And at that point, he said, I know uh, Edo has behaved badly, but to me, he's like a great symphony conductor. I'm just here for the music. I don't care at all how he lives his personal life. And I challenged him saying that uh, a Zen teacher's music is how he lives his personal life. That the music ought to be his ethics and compassion. How he treats others. It's not just this one dimension of, does he bring them to Kensho? But how, how is he uh, in the world? That, that is the music. Can't split these things off. Took another decade or so for this particular teacher to come around to that point of view, but eventually he did. And that, I think, is a big part of what Joko's teachings allow us to see, uh, that we are, in our generation, not so blinded by the light of Kensho, that we see that as the be-all and end-all and uh, are willing to excuse or put up with almost anything uh, in order to uh, get our shot at it. And I think we've also come to realize that teachers have their own psychological issues as well. That some, uh, like Edo, uh, are corrupted by power and are predators. You know, it's sort of the Harvey Weinstein of, uh, of Buddhism. Uh, but much more commonly, uh, there are teachers for whom their own needs have been uh, denied or sequestered for too long in the service 
of helping others, of teaching some of these uh, people uh, get caught in a cycle again of what I called saving all beings minus one, constantly attending to the needs of others and denying or suppressing the fact that they have their own needs or vulnerabilities. And people in that situation uh, are liable to suddenly find themselves uh, falling in love with a student or trying to get from uh, their teaching, uh, their emotional needs met in a way that they haven't uh, been able to acknowledge. I think uh, case of Larry Christensen was something like that. The case of Ezra Beta, which we also discussed, I think uh, in some ways he was, he sounds like he was more in the grip of the, uh, this kind of sense of the absolute in which there's no such thing as uh, impurity. Part of what he was doing that was so, uh, improper uh, was he was asking his female students to give him massages uh, and denying that uh, there was any uh, sexual intent in this where was saying things like it's all energy and this is just a kind of again rationalization that allows him to imagine he's living in a world of that's beyond pure and impure, beyond uh, any vulnerability or harming that could happen to the other person. And I think that the other thing that has come out of uh, Joko's teaching over the years is this ability for students to uh, legitimately say, this is harmful. Uh, this, this isn't a teaching. This is your own personal uh, problem. Again, I think... Uh, a generation ago, we're much likely to hear rationalizations like, it's all a teaching. If it bothers you, it's because you simply aren't awakened enough. It's crazy wisdom. It's all energy. There's no such thing as good and bad. Zen is here to get you outside of all that kind of conventional morality. That's what liberation is. That was very seductive, literally and figuratively, for a lot of people. But I think what has happened in this uh, more recent generation 
is that sanghas are empowered to tell teachers, we're not buying it anymore. If that's your vision of uh, enlightenment, uh, we don't want it. And I think that that has been enormously important uh, in places like uh, San Francisco Zen Center, uh, where finally the, the Sangha itself came together to say, this is not behavior, this is not a teaching that we want. And that was what was, for years, never happened up at Daibosatsu, uh, where really the Sangha and the Dharma successors were complicit in allowing Edo Roshi to continue his misconduct, always under the guise of uh, his bad behavior is separable from his brilliance as a Zen teacher. We don't want to lose that. I think to some extent, you know, this um, evolution of Zen in America comes with a certain degree of de-idealization. And I think that we can uh, respond to that always by just looking around another corner for a new perfect idealized figure. You know, Trungpa was a rogue, but the Dalai Lama, well, he's a real thing, right? He's beyond misconduct or anything, you know, problematic. And we can just keep searching for that, that completely idealized figure beyond human psychology. But I think uh, Zen is going to uh, gradually have to adopt an attitude more like people have towards uh, their therapists. You want the therapist uh, to embody insight and compassion. And you know, sometimes they uh, will be unable to live up to that ideal and it's time to call them out or just to leave. You know, there was a generation after Freud when psychoanalysts were probably just as idealized as, uh, you know, Asian masters uh, coming in the first generation to, to the West. Well, we, we got over that one, and I guess we're going to get over this one. And yet it's figuring out How do we maintain our belief and our commitment when we realize that this practice, like everything else, is one taught and embodied by, by human beings like ourselves? I think the uh, whole psychological 
turn that Joko initiated has made us vastly more realistic about what practice does or doesn't do. Uh, for her, it was this shock of realization that koan study is not going to cure all character pathology. Well, turns out nothing will. There are lots of things that'll help. Nothing isn't guaranteed. And we have to work in that, uh, that middle ground. Trying this, trying that, tr but mostly now, trying to stay uh, psychologically and emotionally honest about uh, what's going on and what's helping and what's not. I think I'll leave it there for now, and we can continue this in our discussion groups uh, afterwards. <laughs>